The notion of a sanctuary is very old, predating Christianity, predating Judaism, predating monotheism. Ancient multi-god or pagan believers built sanctuaries to help people solicit aid from a deity. These places tend to share two qualities, an aura of holiness, which is often accompanied by purification ceremonies, and a hierarchy of levels of holiness within the sections of a given sanctuary. Sanctuaries have taken many forms, including particularly beautiful landscaped artifacts like hills or trees, or portable tents, such as the home of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, or beautiful temples like the ones in Jerusalem. Let's consider one of the most commonly referenced references to a sanctuary. In Exodus chapter 25, God calls Moses up to the mountain. God gives him stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments. God himself has engraved them. These laws dictate the way God wants his people to live, and they illustrate God's hands-on approach to caring for his people. Moses leaves the camp in the hands of a couple of men. Moses goes up the mountain accompanied by Joshua. Apparently, Joshua does not enter the holy cloud with Moses. From below to the people waiting on Moses and Joshua, the top of the mountain looks like it's on fire. As is common, cloud and fire mark God's presence in the Bible. Moses waits six days before God speaks to him. This waiting period allows Moses to prepare himself. The number six is often used in the Bible to refer to the limitations of humans. God created people on the sixth day. Perhaps Moses must wait six days in order to learn some humility and to purge himself of pride. Here is what God says to Moses from within that cloud. Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, Onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. God taxes the chosen people, who since they're living in the desert have very little to begin with, they're to give up their gold and silver and bronze, fine cloth, animal skins, ornate wood, lamp oil, spices, and precious stones. They're going to put these stones on an ephod and a breastplate. An ephod is a vest-like garment worn by the priests, and it lies under the breastplate.
These are to be worn by the high priests. The people are then to make a sanctuary so that God may dwell in their midst. God gives Moses precise instructions on making and furnishing the sanctuary. The sanctuary is a tent, a sacred tent. It must be mobile because the people are mobile and are going to take it into the promised land. Inside the tent will be the tabernacle, the home to the Ten Commandments. This is a massive tent. It contains a courtyard and the tabernacle. The courtyard is 150 by 75 feet, and it's seven and a half feet tall. The tabernacle is about 45 feet long and 15 feet wide and 15 feet high. The tabernacle has two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. The two rooms are separated by a curtain. The ceiling of the tabernacle is made of four materials, linen, goat's hair, ramskin, and badger skin. The walls are made of white linen, and the walls also contain acacia boards with silver set in them. They are overlaid with gold. The door to the sanctuary is on the east side, so that unlike the pagan nations around them, the Israelites will always worship God facing west. There are six items in the sanctuary, the altar of sacrifice, the laver or bronze washing basin, the table of acacia wood, the menorah, the altar of incense, the veil, and most importantly, the ark of the covenant, which is a box made of acacia wood and covered with gold. It contains the Ten Commandments. Here's what's not so obvious about the sanctuary. It's God's idea and God's design. It's his custom home built out of the finest materials, donated by all of his people, and constructed by a large number of them. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark containing the covenant with God, will later be carried around by the Israelites and it will serve them for an extremely long time. They bring it with them when kings Saul and David fight the Philistines. After it's captured by the Philistines, they get it back and they return it to Israel. The ark and the surrounding sanctuary is a deeply holy place where the Israelites go in order to connect with God. They literally think of it as the home of God. The word tabernacle in Hebrew, mishkan, means residence. Our English word, tabernacle, is actually derived from the Latin word, tabernaculum, meaning tent. It is only superseded 440 years later when Solomon builds the first temple in Jerusalem. Let's look at a passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet, and the book is written in the first person, with Ezekiel telling the story of his three-decade-long ministry. The book was written around 570 or so B.C. As a young married man, Ezekiel is living in Jerusalem. The life of Ezekiel coincides with the height of Babylonian power over a vast area, the Babylonians have recently wrested control over Mesopotamia from the Assyrians. The Babylonians are sending their armies out to expand their power base 
south and west to include much of the land that surrounds the Israelites, which at this time consists of two areas known as Israel and Judah. This very aggressive expansion leads the Babylonians to wars against Egypt and Phoenicia, with the region including the holy city of Jerusalem in Judah caught in the middle. The mighty army of Nebuchadnezzar besieges and captures Jerusalem. But at one point, Israel comes close to beating back the Babylonians. In retaliation, the Babylonian army sacks Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and robs the temple of its treasures. And to weaken the upstart Israelites further, many of the educated and skilled, along with the rulers of Israel and Judah, and the leaders of the army are forcibly moved about 700 miles away to the heart of the Babylonian Empire. Ezekiel finds himself living on a barren plain deep in Babylonian territory with the Keber River nearby. Ezekiel fights to wrest control from a secular ruling class of Israelites that had emerged back in Israel. Although he's exiled from the land, he proposes that the Israelites in exile should live strictly by God's laws. Parts of the book of Ezekiel contain bizarre, wild visions of his. In chapter 11 of Ezekiel, God is reassuring Ezekiel that there's hope for the exiled Israelites. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord. To us, this land is given for a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I remove them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. This says that no matter where we are, God considers himself a personal sanctuary for us. Now consider something from the New Testament, from the third chapter of Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus the ancient city that is in now what's called Turkey. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This says that Jesus lives within us in the form of our faith. We personalize God in Christianity. We think of God being present in us as we move through the day. We might go to a church or perhaps to a forest in the mountains to be reminded of God's presence, to be inspired, but we know that God is everywhere. Paul tells us that we are a sanctuary. We hold God within a sacred place within us. We don't need to go looking for God. He doesn't live in some building somewhere, certainly not in a tent. 
But is there some value in real, physical sanctuaries? The problem with the church sanctuary is that we must travel to it. Most Christians go to a physical sanctuary no more than once a week. I have a very heavy Celtic cross formed from bright bronze on the wall above the main computer I use at home. I'm looking at it right now as I record this. It's about a foot and a half tall and highly polished. Celtic crosses have that circle that wraps around all four pieces of the cross. There's some folklore that says that St. Patrick introduced the Celtic cross to Ireland when he was converting its kings from paganism to Christianity. Perhaps there's some truth in that. Some say that the circle was simply a structural consideration in ancient times that it strengthened the design of the cross. Others say that the Celtic cross is in truth a hybrid pagan and Christian symbol, that the circle is a sun symbol sacred to the ancient pre-Christian Celts. Personally, I think it's beautiful. I have another smaller one on the wall in front of the rower and stationary bike I exercise on every morning. When I work, when I work out, I look up many times and I see the cross. It turns my private space at home into a physical sanctuary, much like the sanctuary that God had the Israelites build for God. I feel a calmness come over me when I think about God's presence in that sanctuary in my home. I once found one on the wall of a hospital patient, someone who was very sick but not terminally ill. His family had put it up with the nurse's permission, and they often let patients personalize their rooms. They put it up using two-sided tape so that when they took it down, there wouldn't be any damage. He was one of those patients who was not very talkative, who really seemed to want to be left alone. I tried a couple of times to strike up a conversation. When he responded with a polite but curt, thanks for coming by, I was about to back out of the room when I noticed the cross. I told him that I had two Celtic crosses on my walls at home, that they turned my home into a sanctuary. That caused him to break out in a smile, and he looked up at me. He said that he thought of it in a similar way, that whenever he traveled on business, he took a smaller Celtic cross with him and temporarily put it up on a wall in whatever place he was staying in. It turned the loneliness of a hotel into the warmth of a place that was the home of God. He said that he had not brought the cross to the hospital himself, that his teenage kids had done it. He had woken up on his first morning in the hospital while getting ready for surgery, and he saw the cross. At first, he thought it belonged to the hospital, but it's a public hospital, and Boulder is not exactly a highly Christian city. Then he realized it was one from his home office. He said it brought an incredible joy to him that his children would think of putting that big heavy cross up for him. Then he said that the cross reminded him of God, not of a church. 
He asked me what I meant when I said that my Celtic cross turns my home office into a sanctuary. I found that passage from Exodus for him about Moses being given instructions for building a sanctuary where the people of God could go and visit God. I made a point of saying that just like the cross he traveled with, Moses' sanctuary was highly mobile. I'd like to suggest that all of us find a physical, visual way of reminding ourselves of God's presence every day. Now, I have other crosses in our house. Wendy and I have a brightly colored Mexican cross in our bedroom. Our Spanish-speaking daughter, Isabel, gave it to us. I also have about 50 different Bibles and many hundreds, perhaps thousands, of Christian books. Often, though, we become so used to the Christian symbols we put up in our houses that they lose that special meaning. They stop jumping out at us visually. They become just part of the scenery. That's why I bought two heavy, very shiny Celtic crosses. I knew that they would remain special for me, that I would stop and think about God's sanctuary in my home every time I looked at them. You might try to think of something special for you, some way of turning a little part of your home into a sanctuary. Wendy and I, when we were looking for a condo to buy for our daughters to live in some years ago, opened a bedroom closet door in a condo for sale and found an altar that someone had built. There was a Bible on it, along with a statue of Jesus, as well as a very old-looking cross made out of a palm branch that I suspect was left over from some ancient Palm Sunday. Give it a try. Be creative. Build yourself a sanctuary in your home.